once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in beautiful, bucolic, scenic, Secaucus, New Jersey, where I am actively participating in the World Series of Poker circuit event for the 2020-2021 season, because uh, who knows what's around the corner. Will this pandemic ever end? Will we ever be able to play poker in person? Uh, but I've been listening to you guys, and I hear your feedback loud and clear. 99% of all of our listeners are sick of hearing me talk to myself, and that's why this week we have a returning guest and one of our favorite guests, a uh, very popular guy, really excellent poker player, $8 million both online and live in caches, uh, but you probably know him best as Asher's daddy. Please welcome back to the show, Matthew Stout. My man, how are you? We doing pretty well, buddy. How are you? Really great, really great. How's the fam? They are amazing. We uh, we just posted fall pictures because I got dragged to an apple orchard 40 minutes away to take <laughs> pictures by a tree all dressed up in fall colors. Wow. Uh, I'm just, honestly, I'm just, uh, I'm honored that they still let me in the pictures because those two are so damn cute and I am Matt Stout. <laughs> Well, you're, you're very handsome yourself, Matt. I'm sure the pictures are beautiful. I, I was fishing for that compliment. Yeah, I, I felt obligated, to be honest. Uh, so <laughs> you are known for many, many things. Uh, we talk on this uh, podcast quite a bit about the CSOP, the Charity Series of Poker, and you guys are doing a virtual event this weekend. Tell everybody about it. What's going on? We are doing, uh, we, uh, we kind of had to adjust a little bit thanks to this pandemic and all. We had our usual uh, April 4th event scheduled and planned, and it's the biggest production we do all year. It's dinner for 260 people and a live auction to go with the silent auction. It's basically like a gala and then a poker tournament. It's a, a whole big experience, and it's kind of our... Um, our flagship event and we were really disappointed that we couldn't uh, perform it live out of you know an abundance of caution in the midst of a pandemic and all so we have pivoted and are running the event on Faded Spade this Saturday it's going to be a $500 ticket and you get to experience the video program from St. Jude hear a lot about the mission of the hospital, hear from a patient speaker. Uh, it's emceed by Joe Stapleton. And then after the 45 minute program, we're gonna do a, uh, 30 to 45, we're gonna do a nice little freeze out. Uh, we're still doing a WSOP main event seat up top. So there's still a lot of meat on the bones. It's gonna be a fairly small field since we uh, didn't have a ton of time to market this after we finally got it approved. Um, There's a lot of back and forth and behind the scenes trying to uh, get these things up and running. So we uh, we expect it to be a pretty good value for people at a $500 price point donation to St. Jude and also getting the opportunity to play for a main event seat, hop on the Twitch stream, talk to Stapleton, Negranu, Golden Knight Ryan Reeves is going to join us and play the tournament and get interviewed on the Twitch stream by Joe. It's going to be a good time. This is uh, the first time we're doing an online event, so 
it's going to be a learning experience and hopefully something we can expand on to continue doing some more of these. Uh, even without the pandemic, I think it's a good idea for uh, our usual annual beneficiaries to to still run their live event once we can run those again and then consider also running an online event, you know, the other side of the calendar once a year. Yeah, for sure. This could be the beginning of something really good. Uh, so are you worried at all about any glitches? You know, the first time you're running an online event, have you been able to like test the software? Do you think things will be smooth or are there going to be some bugs in the, uh, in the mix? I think that I, the, I just mostly concern, have concerns about uh, the production aspect of it, making sure that all the stream goes smoothly, we interacts in the appropriate fashion. Uh, just doing a lot of little things like that, right? I've tested the software; it seems solid. I, I don't have any complaints. I think that it'll it'll be a really fun event. The poker tournament itself shouldn't be an issue. It's just the logistics of getting everyone registered, making sure that the production, the stream goes smoothly, um, just that we all have a good time and raise some money for a great cause. I'm going to participate for sure. You know, I always support your events. I didn't even know about this one, which kind of proves your point that you didn't really have time to market it. (laughs) Uh, But now that you're telling me about it, I'll be there. I'm I'm gonna do it. Uh, I love you guys, I love Stapes. Um, so how is that going to work? Is, it, is he going to be streaming the poker as well? So we're just going to have them in observer mode so that we can do everything live and no one has to worry about all cards being shown. So we're just going to have one box with Stapleton in the Twitch stream, one box with whoever the guest is at that point, which will switch between me, Negranu, Ryan Reeves, uh, you, other players who are notable, fun people to have in the chat. Um, so we'll have three boxes, one with Stapes, one with the guest, and then one big one with the table that they're playing at so that they can kind of talk about the action, but more so just chat about, you know, why they support St. Jude, why they support CSOP, why uh, why they do the things they do, and why they do them so well. <laughs> yeah, right. So what about Faded Spade? Um, not everybody that's listening to this knows what that is. How does it work? Do I have to download software? Can I play on my cell phone? Like any questions you think might pe- people might have about playing this event on Faded Spade? Uh, yeah, so the Faded Spade uh, platform is a play money platform. Chips have no cash value. So none of the money goes to Faded Spade. It all gets donated directly to St. Jude and then they get issued a ticket uh, to the event as part of the program. So it's uh, play in browser experience. There's no download required. It's mobile friendly. You can play from a cell phone. You can play anywhere in the U.S. per St. Jude's rules. Uh, Faded, our future events on Faded Spade may be international. We have to, you know, get that discussed with the legal team and the board and all. But uh, it's a really, it's really exciting to to be able to kind of help these charities that need to raise funds more than ever, especially St. Jude. Like, you know that I've been personally affected by cancer a lot this year. I lost my two-year-old great-nephew in June to cancer, and uh, it was one of the most brutal things my family's ever gone through. And now um, my nephew, who was the father of the child, his mother also has breast cancer now. So it's definitely been a rough year for us, especially with cancer specifically. So... St. Jude's always been one of my favorite charities to support. Now it's really 
getting forefront in the center as the main charity that I really want to put my life's work and my efforts behind. Well, it's always been one of my favorites, too. I mean, it's hard to think of a better cause than helping children who are sick. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to think of a, a more worthy cause than that. So, um, yeah, I've attended your St. Jude event in the past, and it's it's always great. And I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing how we can do it online. And like you say, maybe we can end up doing even more for them, uh, you know, through CSOP, both online and virtually. So uh, now from, for our listeners, just so they understand, you're saying it's a $500 buy-in to play in this freeze-out, uh, and, and they can write that off? Does that go to the charity? The money goes directly to St. Jude. They would go to stjude.org slash against all odds, uh, and then buy a ticket, and they, uh, they can write off the majority of the purchase, for events, uh, for direct donations, 100% of it is deductible. When you do events, uh, technically, there's supposed to be a fair market value attached to the seat. So for uh, like our $300 events, a lot of times it's, if you buy in for 300, we assign like a fair market value of $50 or something to the chips uh, for uh, the purposes of it having value and trying to win a main event seat and things like that. So we assign some small portion of it that becomes the fair market value. So you can write off the difference between the price and the fair market value, if that makes sense. So I think for the $500 ticket, they're assigning a fair market value of 100 or 150, and they'll be able to write off at least 350 or 400 of it. Great. So you know, just to be able to uh, play in a poker tournament and also deduct it from your tax bill <laughs> at the end of the year is, uh, is kind of a nice little perk as of, of course we're doing it for the children uh, and all of that but it's also nice to get that tax tax break at the end of the year so uh, you mentioned that you don't expect a huge turnout for this so if I pay the 500 bucks what do you think my odds of winning the main event seat well maybe not my odds but a good player's odds of winning the main event stop, would be. stop ruining my job <laughs> I was all ready to swoop in. I was figuring out how to word it. I was going to let you finish talking while I while I broke down how <laughs> insignificant Clayton Fletcher specifically's odds would be. <laughs> but now that we've gotten to the point where you ruined the joke, I'll just try to think of another joke. But it's always tough when I when I'm up against a stand-up comedian just trying to to match that level of humor as an amateur. It's tricky. I beat you to the punch, Matt. You really did. You're too good, Clayton. You covered your tracks well. Bravo. Bravo, worthy adversary. Um, so I think that a lot of it depends. One of our sponsors has 30 seats, but I don't think that he's going to use many, if any, of them. Okay. I believe we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 registered as of right now. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have some last-minute buy-ins, but... I think that it's going to be a field of 50, 60 people would be my estimate. So it's definitely a, a pretty good opportunity with a nice small field and a lot of meat up top. Plus, if uh, I win or my wife wins, we're, we don't take the prize. So we just pretend that we weren't there and just bump everyone up a spot like we got DQ'd from the W Coop main. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> 
All right, cool. So I hope to win second if you or uh, your wife get first. Mac Verstandig and I had this whole conversation, and then I talked to Negreanu about it because Negreanu, uh, Mac was like, okay, uh, you know you, you can't win prizes as president of CSOP. I'm like, all right, that's fine. And then I talked to Negreanu, and I was like, I'm just, I just wasn't going to play because I'm not allowed to win prizes. He's like, just play because they want to play with you and then DQ yourself. I was like, oh, interesting idea. <laughs> yeah. It's a great idea. So you get to play. So if you sign up for this, for this tournament, uh, you will be doing something good for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, and you also get an opportunity to play online poker with Matt Stout. Uh, is Daniel going to play too, or is he just doing commentary this time? Negreanu will be playing, as will Golden Knight Ryan Reeves. Wow, that's awesome. It'll be fun. Yeah, and of so, course... So, as Clayton Fletcher, you get to try to stack Clayton Fletcher. Bobcat <laughs> Fletcher, Clayton Fletcher will be in the heezy. <laughs> now, when we do these live, I'm usually a bounty, which it's like, it's already it's already easy enough to beat me at poker, and now you're going to also, like, incentivize them to take me out, so it's pretty brutal. <laughs> Are there any other prizes we should know about besides that main event seat for first place? Yeah, the we we didn't do bounties for this one because it's a little bit tricky logistically. We wanted to make sure the first event goes smoothly without having too many moving parts. But we're doing top three, and uh, it'll be the main event seat. The second place consolation prize is a meet and greet or online poker or virtual poker lesson via Zoom with Dan Negreanu. Um, we actually, if if hockey comes back, we will probably also give them the option of going to a Knights game with Negreanu instead, because that was originally what the prize was going to be. Um, but we wanted to pivot and make it a little more feasible in the pandemic. And you caught me off guard. I forgot what third place is. Okay, but there is a prize for third place, and it might even yeah. be listed on that website, which we'll be sure to give out again um, at the end of this of this episode. Uh, so everybody can sign up. Well, I hope some of you guys will do it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's this coming Saturday, October 24th. Uh, everything starts at 7 p.m. Eastern, correct? 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at that event website, stjude.org slash against all odds. It will be a 30 to 45 minute video program and the tournament will be right after that. Uh, players will receive an email event uh, going out either tonight or tomorrow for people that are already registered, giving them detailed instructions on how to go to the Faded Spade St. Jude website and create a player login. It's a really easy process and then just go into tournaments, find the tournament, click register and you're good to go. But we'll have it all broken down step by step and we'll have people on hand to help with any issues. Great. Great. So, uh, is there a chat on Faded Spade? I've never played on there. Is there a chat? Can I talk trash if I'm at your table? Absolutely. <laughs> That's why we're encouraging people to use their real names so that we know who we're actually talking smack to. Uh, <laughs> I like to talk crap behind people's back. I want to do it right to their face. Yeah. Uh, so, we're, we're going to be on Zoom and drinking, and it's going to be fun. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to replicate the good, good vibe experience that we have live online. Yeah, I mean, all of my regular listeners, Matt, they know how much I love participating in these uh, CSOP events and, and how much fun they are. And I'm looking forward to my very first uh, experience with the online version. 
And I guess it's going to be everybody's first experience with the online version. But, you know, it's pretty star-studded. I mean, you got a professional hockey player from your favorite hockey team. You've got uh, Joe Stapleton, who to me is the, the king of all uh, poker broadcasters. You've got Daniel Negreanu, who I think a lot of our listeners have probably heard of at some point. Um, most notably, uh, I think he's going to be playing a heads-up match against Doug Polk, who's really well-liked. Um, <laughs> People love him. So, yeah, it should be it should be a good time. And uh, so I'll be able to play, and I'll also be able to see what's happening on the stream as well at the same time. Uh, yeah, that's why we're keeping the cards face down so that everything's live. So we'll just be switching between tables to show different players and the all-ins. And we got uh, Justin Kelly hanging out handling all the production stuff for us. He's the man. Yeah. Appreciate him for getting involved, and it's going to be a good time. Well, I hope that we can uh, get some of you guys to, to join us. It's this Saturday, the, the 24th. All right, well, Matt, before we run out of time, uh, you said you wanted to uh, discuss a hand of poker that you played recently, and I know a lot of people love They would kill me if I had you as a guest and we didn't do some strategy. So what do you got for us? You know, it's funny you say recently because I was going through some of my recent hands and I just kept thinking about this hand that I played in 2013 that I still can't get over. Oh, okay. So, we'll go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> Great. It's uh, it's an interesting one, though, and I, I think it still has a lot of concepts that are still relevant today. Uh, so this hand was... Near the money, I think it's five away from the money with 68 left, 63 pay in the 10K PLO championship at the World Series of Poker. Uh, it's blind versus blind. I'm in the big against Daniel Alai and the small blind. Okay. Well, for those who don't know, Daniel Alai is an extremely well-known, very accomplished professional player. He's been around forever. Uh, I can remember seeing him on the first season of High Stakes Poker with Gabe Kaplan back in the in the day. So he's not uh, some new guy fresh <laughs> off the boat. He's he's a he's a crusher. Uh, it's interesting you bring this hand up already, Matt, because the last couple of episodes we've been talking about bubble play uh, should be fun. And we don't get a lot of PLO on this podcast either, so this is going to be exciting. It's a ten thousand dollar PLO World Championship in Vegas. 68 players left and 63 to be paid, and we're in the big blind. Yep, and I think it's 930k or something for first. It's not an insignificant first place prize that we're playing. For, right? <laughs> right, right. It was a 30k starting stack, and I have 320k, and Alai has me covered because he's a boss. Um, so we're super deep here. It's basically like 11 starting stacks effective. Um, and folds to Hawaii, and he's been playing, he's usually, like, just really good at being a chameleon, like, he'll play super tight when he should, and he'll just play, like, a monster and super aggressive when he should, he's just really, really good all around, um, and he's been playing pretty aggressively near the bubble, I'm torn on whether I thought he was trying to run me over, um, because I know he had a lot of respect for me. We played a lot together deep in Bellagio 15Ks and stuff. Uh, he just always seemed to be at my table. We always kind of ended up battling. 
Um, but I think he has a pretty good amount of respect for my game. So he it folds to him, and he, I'm hoping he limps and he full pots it to 15K at 2,500, 5K. Uh, did you uh, say he's on the button? No, he's small blind. Oh, he's small blind. Okay, so this is a blind battle. Okay. So, yeah, he yep. full pots from the small blind. Now, you know, let's talk a little bit about theory of PLO tournaments because I know a lot of our listeners probably have never even played one. A lot of us play PLO cash games, but we play a lot of no limit hold'em tournaments. So kind of just talk a little bit generally before we get into the specifics here, if you don't mind, Matt. Just uh, kind of give people some, how is it different in the bubble stages of a PLO tournament than what we're more used to, which is like a no limit hold'em tournament? Uh, things get real funky in PLO. Everything <laughs> <laughs> so close together means that there's times where even though I don't have it in me to do so, that it's probably statistically correct to fold aces pre. Wow. Like, aces aren't that big of a favorite against good hands in PLO. Right. Any, any like, non-pair, non-ace, like, double-suited hand is going to have over 40% equity um, for the most part. And any, like, really, really good hands, like queen-jack-10-9 double-suited is going to be almost even money with bad aces. Instead, like, there's a lot of spots in no-limit tournaments where you need to be, instead of just needing to be chippy, be profitable and over 50%, and even with tournament considerations, you're only going to need to be a little bit above chippy V, in normal spots, that become that becomes like that gets to the point in no limit and in PLO, regardless of the game, where your equity in terms of ICM is going to need to be 60% plus for it to be correct to get it in, because you need to be such a big favorite that the chips you can gain outweigh the risk of ruin and busting on the bubble, etc. So it's easy to get to that point in no limit because the hands that are nutted in no limit have such great equity against your opponent's range that it's still a clear... It's just like a lot of really weird, funky spots where you should pot control or even consider folding with really, really strong hands because the bubble dictates that, you know, if you have two buy-ins or even... or two starting stacks or even three starting stacks and you can cash for one and a half or two plus buy-ins, that it just doesn't make sense to gamble as like a 55% favorite against someone's range. Like it just, once the bubble considerations come into play, it becomes like a really obvious fold. And it's just, it's a mind F. I'll try not to curse on your podcast. (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) It puts you in all these spots where you're just like, oh, I can't believe I have to fold this spot. Those can't believe I have to fold this spot, become even worse in PLO. Right. But but it is the great game, and it's more fun than No Limit, and I highly recommend that people transition if they haven't already, because, you know, the more No Limit gets solved and people are using real-time assistance and stuff, the more it's going to gravitate toward PLO and mixed games and other things that haven't been solved. Um, so... Uh, did I have any more? I'm trying to remember if I had anything else I was trying to get to before I get back to the hand, because we have wandered so far off. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Matt, I always do. I always do run wander so far off. It's just kind of oh. <laughs> our listeners are no, used to it. The whole podcast is just one wandering. <laughs> um, so the other point that I wanted to get to is 
something that I didn't think enough about in game that I I realized in talking with some of my like super beast friends after this hand was that when you're this deep stack like the converse is also true like the shorter you are the more that if you can get in the money with your two three starting stacks the more you should try to do so the converse is also true in that the deeper stacked you are the less it's significant the bubble becomes because the equity that can be gained from me doubling through a lie is six figures like we have more than 10 starting stacks in a 10k if i double through him we're we're looking at gaining close to 100k in equity if not 100k plus i guess closer to the bubble that's going to be a little bit lower but yeah i mean it's still be like 90,000 plus in equity um yeah, now how do you how do you arrive at that? I mean, I, I'm assuming you you should be pretty well above average already with your you know ten times the starting stack before the money even comes in, right? Because they pay fifteen percent of the field. Uh, it might have been slightly lower than yeah, but we're we're both way above average. I think it, it might have been fifteen percent of the field because I remember this being like chip lead pot or very close to it once we get it in. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so if you do manage to double through him in this blind versus blind confrontation, would you be the chip leader in the tournament or very close well, to it? Top three, definitely. Top yeah. three, okay, great. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the other side of the coin. And it's interesting because we have been talking quite a bit on this podcast about ICM and how you know many players misunderstand that ICM doesn't mean that you should never take any chances. It just means that many times it's correct to fold and just make sure you at least cash. But yeah, I mean, if you have a spot where you're a huge favorite to double up, because like you say, then your your actual proposed equity uh, would be in the you know close to six figures in the tournament. Well, so. my, my equity is already around six figures. I already have like ten starting stacks in the ten k. Right. Right. Almost eleven. So. The but the gain I can gain another almost hundred k if not hundred k plus by doubling up to twenty two starting stacks or twenty one point whatever so so that just was something I wasn't thinking enough about um <laughs> and have st- had like started to consider more after that because you know it's a learning experience I'd only been playing for a living for like seven years I probably should have thought about it by then but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but had you been playing PLO for seven years, it's a little different, right? Actually, I haven't. Uh, this was like very, very early in my. This may have been the first time I played the 10K PLO, yeah. if not the second. Um, I it was pretty early in my PLO playing days. All right, well, I think now we're ready to hear what four cards you have. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm in the big with queen, 10, 10, 3. We lost you for a second. Can you repeat it? Queen, 10, 10, 3. I wish I didn't have to say it again because I, I probably should have just folded pre based on Eli being a boss. Um, I also may have overvalued the hand since I was still kind of wet behind the ears. Um, queen, 10, 10, 3, double suited. Okay. I'm not going to pretend that I know enough about PLO tournament strategy Uh to, to say for sure, but I think it's probably a fold. Yeah, I mean, 
there's an argument for if I think he's raising really, really wide that it probably has enough of equity to defend. You're always getting at least two to one. Equities run so much closer together. Yada yada yada. You have position. Yeah, and equity position's far more important in PLO than it is in no limit. Right. Because when a board changes in no limit, you can still check all your strong hands pretty frequently, and a lot even like a lot of your middle strength hands. But in PLO, when a board changes. And you have like two pair in the flush columns, or just have an over pair when the flush comes. Like you, it's like a mandatory check bolt. So it's a lot easier to take advantage of board changes, even if they don't benefit you, by being in position. Obviously. Sure. Um, so that's kind of one of the main reasons the PLO um, position becomes so much more important. Still, all that said, and all my defensiveness aside, fold pre. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's funny because I was, one of my followers, like, uh, commented on something after I won a tournament. He's like, oh, I was playing that deep with you. My screen name was just Fold Prey. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's such a good screen name because, like, it sums up so, so many conversations I've had about a poker hand where I just patiently listen to someone rant for three or four minutes about every detail they had, and I just smile and nod and say, Go just fold pre. Just fold pre. That's me to 2013. Matt Stout is just fold pre. Eli is a boss. Move on. Yeah, yeah. You, you're in position against the other big stack at the table. Just start opening every hand that he doesn't open. So floppy is queen seven four with two spades and one diamond. So I have top pair flush draw, backdoor flush draw. Okay, so we have queen ten ten three, double suited. And one of our suits has come uh, as a flush draw, and our other suit is now a backdoor flush draw. So we've got a lot going on here. We have top pair with a 10 kicker, pretty modest, but heads up, might be good. Uh, our flush draw is almost certainly good, right? I mean, that's pretty bad luck if he ends up having a better flush than we do if it gets there. It's not that shy. I mean, I have the 10 high. If I, if I had the queen high blind versus blind and he has two flushes where he can beat me, then it would be a little bit more surprising. But the 10 high flush draw, like, I, I obviously expect it to be good most of the time, but, like, I'm not going to be shocked, nor am I going to be unwilling to lay it down to, like, turn and river aggression. If I turn a 10 high flush call a met and he barrels again and I have, like, number five. Yeah, I, I don't know why I was thinking that the flush draw that came was the queen high but yeah that's still good to know about the 10 high all right so what's the action here on the on the flop so 30k in the middle because he potted it to three big blinds 15k and i called uh he bets 23k on the flop three quarters pot 23 into 30 um i think like we've now this is one of the problems in plo too is that you're gonna flop a lot of second best hands and modest equity and some like dusty spots where you feel like you have to continue but now you're just getting yourself in more trouble and this is a good example <laughs> like, right. I, I'm obviously not going to fold this flop to one bet we're going to continue we're not going to bloat and raise this because we'll obviously have to fold it actually that's not true because I think that uh, I think I talked to one person who's like an absolute legend of PLO and um, that said that he would have just raised fold and flop because he doesn't want to get to a spot on the turn with like almost any turn card except like an offsuit 10. Like we don't really 
love our spot on too many turns. So it's still just like uh, he thought it plays better as a sending bluff, but most people disagree with that. I'm certainly not even qualified, and I'm not a, a legend of PLO tournament strategy at all. That said, my instinct was I like raising here with the intention of folding to further aggression, right? But I think we'll take it down a lot when we raise, which might mean that we were ahead all along. But also, I think it's just a, it's a little bit easier if we kind of grab the bull by the horns here rather than just keep trying to figure out what Elie's up to. Right. Uh, it feels like he can't we have a queen so he is very unlikely to have top set and i think that if we did flop top set we would raise it here and so that's one hand we can rep but the problem is when he three bets so but you're we're still not going to be like better than evenish money against anything that we he three bets even if we are ahead we expect to be pretty smoked by his range he three bets yeah so we just raise fold it and then you know yeah, and to saying. that end, like um, I think of no limit in terms of like value better bluff and never bet to see where you're at, quote unquote, because it's like fish logic. But it is something where like PLO strategy requires completely unlearning that no limit instinct, um, which is why I made sure that I learned from someone who doesn't play no limit almost at all. Um, but it's it, there's a lot more like betting even though you think that you're only going to get folds from worse hands and betting when it doesn't necessarily make a sense as a value better a bluff but that checking just like leaves you in a spot where you have to check fold even if you're going to be ahead a lot and betting will get people with a lot of equity to fold out because their outs aren't clean enough yeah which is why I, th I, I agree with that logic um, to the extent that I understand PLO, and I think that's why I feel like I want to, I do want to raise here. So maybe that's two people that you know that vote for raising. It's definitely not out of the question. I mean, I, I definitely was still like, I still think a lie is better than me, and I was still trying to pot control to some extent. Um, but uh, to that end, we'll discuss the turn because you know. Okay, things so get call. a little bit. Things that, yeah, I call 23k, and things are gonna get a lot hairier. Uh, the turn is a jack, and it gives me another flush draw. Okay, so now we have both of our flush draws. We have a queen high flush draw and a ten high flush draw. Um, and top pair and some uh, straight draw blockers and all kinds of weird things going on. Yeah. Still not like the best spot in the world to be in against a world class player on the bubble of a ten K or PLO championship of the world. Yeah, what's but, our SPR about now? So now we've each put thirty eight K in and there is seventy six K in the pot. And we're each playing like two eighty back. So three and a half. Okay. So he he bets again here on the turn. He bets 65k into 78k again about three quarters, a little bit more, 80 percent. Jeez, very healthy bets. Yeah, and sizing should generally be bigger in PLO. Like, there's nothing surprising about the sizing, especially on a double suited board. A lot of times, full uh, double suited boards just get like a mandatory full pot for me, whatever my with like my whole betting range. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I didn't know if that would be different in tournaments than it is in cash game. Uh, you still have to, like, protect against so much more and your equity is so much more vulnerable. Like, even when you have top set on this board, like, 
there are 19 flush draw and straight draws available. So you're, <laughs> you're getting a little leery about, like, think about it. Unless the board pairs on Queen Jack 7 4 double suited, like, what river card do you want? Right. Right. You want, like, a deuce and a deuce only, or an ace and an ace only. Every other. <laughs> oh, no. Ace makes a straight with King Jack. Yeah. So, like, there is. No river card. And even if the board doesn't pair, like, and even if it's more like the deuce, it's if a flush comes, your top set is still, like, a check probably fold. Um, if it's the flop flush draw that gets there, the backdoor flush draw is a little trickier to check fold when the backdoor flush draw get, uh, flush gets there. Sure. Um, so, yeah, this, this whole hand gets pretty sticky um matt do you remember having any kind of feel for uh daniel like what he was like were you able to put him on any type of range or is he just such a crusher that you're like well he's gonna have a fair number of bluffs here he's gonna have a a set a lot he's gonna have this that i mean what were your kind of i mean i don't have much of a live read on why he's he's a boss i mean he like his heart's racing, but like whenever he's putting a lot of money in, that's one of those tells that people like think that they get, but it's super unreliable because anytime someone's involved in a pot, their heart's going to be racing a lot of the time, whether they have it or not. So yeah, that's not um, really a tell, is it? It's just uh, he's playing for a million dollars and there's 65 players left. So yeah, his heart's racing a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, it doesn't. I didn't have any like real live read as far as range goes. I mean. I think he's going to bet this way with all sets. I think that if he has top two combos, most he's going to have something with it, at least like a gutter or whatever, if he has top two or have a flush draw. So I expect him to have queen jack a lot. Um, I expect him to have some semi-bluff combos. Since there's so many draws, like he can just have like a wrap with a flush draw. He probably isn't going to do it with like just a naked wrap. He may check all that. Um, to avoid getting potted on, but since it's close to the bubble, he may just keep barreling it and hope for extra fold equity. Um, overall, like I don't, I don't think he's double barreling like super light. Like the he's like PLO. You're not. I mean, you might double barrel here with aces, but like it, you're probably only going to double barrel it if you have a flush draw with it or some straight draw with it. And you're comfortable going with it. Or I guess you can bet fold with some of like the weaker but strong combos. It's it's also like I don't think that I was as good of a hand reader in PLO then as I am now. So overall, like I, I think that he definitely he could have some queen seven combos too, is the other thing that I was considering on the turn is that if he has some hand that he raised lightish with that has queen seven in it, that he's going to be double barreling it and maybe in a tough spot if I pile. And if he has naked queen jack or just like queen jack, no flush draw, even with like maybe a gut shot, I still may get a fold. Um, not necessarily though. I think there's a pretty uh, good chance you would though, Matt, because even if he has queen jack, there's some hands that he's ahead of, but he's actually a, a an underdog. That's one thing people that don't play PLO don't always know is that sometimes you can have the better hand, but because your opponent has so many live outs, you're actually an underdog. Yeah, I mean, if someone has like 
Ace King ten nine here, or Ace King or King ten six five on this particular board of Queen seven four Jack, and they have like King ten five six with both flush draws. They're quite the favorite over tops at. I saw Charter play a hand like that one time in a PLO game. I think it was like in a tournament in Bahamas or something, where he had like the t- uh, like. A gut shot at the top end, a wrap on the bottom end, and two flush draws. <laughs> I got it in against top set. And he just, like, scooped when they ran it twice. So I guess it was a cash game. Yeah. Oh, I definitely remember him, like, just scooping against top set, no problem. <laughs> and the math, he's, like, he's, like, 52% or something. Wow. It's, it's insane. Yeah. You have, like, one more win in the deck than your opponent, even though they have the current nuts. It's pretty sick that you can actually be a favorite versus the nuts. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that, that, it's just, the, the whole game is ridiculous. Um, it's a great I game. I had a hand where I was at, on a 6-4 rainbow, I was a favorite against top set aces once. <laughs> what? You that just, should be a thing. You had every straight card oh. possible, yeah. I had eight. Uh, uh, my hand is fairly obvious to people who understand PLO equities, but I obviously had the the fullest wrap of all time. Yeah, the super wrap. Okay. Yeah. It's eight six. Uh, it was eight seven five three. Don't ask me why I had this hand. Eight seven five three double, and I got three bet. I think <laughs> so. I I peel because I have four cards that don't have an ace in them. So. Yeah. Probably going to see a flop against aces. Uh, yeah, and it comes to a 6-4 rainbow, and I'm like, oh. Like, he probably has tops that, but, like, my equity can't be that bad. And, and I'll be able to get some, like, he'll do he'll bet fold kings or some ace-king XX rundowns or some, like, random, like, if he three-bet me with, like, queen-jack-10-9 double, uh, he's going to see bet fold a 6-4 rainbow. So there's still, like, a lot of bet folds from, like, strong three betting hands as long as it's not top set of aces but I was like even if it's top set this can't be bad oh that bad of equity and I ran it and I was like 51% and I was like, that's <laughs> that's not acceptable at all this seems wrong so nothing else and I had the full wrap with two backdoor flush draws and it was just enough let's get it in yeah it's it's a fun game it's just it's, there's so much more to think about I find it so much more interesting I get really bored studying no limit now I'm, I still do it because you know still playing for no limit for a lot of money pretty frequently since we don't have as many PLO tournaments as we should but uh, PLO has definitely kind of taken over my heart I, uh, I've been playing a lot of 5510 PLO at ARIA pre-COVID and I might start playing again soon with the plexiglass dividers and wiping everything down with sanitizer and everyone having to wear masks and the you haven't ventured in yet you haven't done that yet I played uh, Venetian 600, and uh, it's it's it was weird. It was nice to get back to playing live, but um, and I'm personally like I don't come in contact with anyone who's older. So like I I I stayed in lockdown up till now, whenever possible, just to for the greater good. I'm not that personally concerned about getting it because I'm in pretty good health and young enough. But I do want my dad, who's in his 60s, to be able to come visit and see his grandson. So of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to – I'm starting to get back to a little bit of real life, especially because I went out on downswing online. So it makes me want to play live again, obviously, where people are just 
punting in the most incredible ways. If I told you some of the hands I saw in that 600 Venetian, you would hop on a plane today. Jack <laughs> <laughs> Ray's call the river on a four flush board with a straight. Oh, cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't believe you. Okay. Well, here's my ace of hearts. I mean, this is one of those spots where if I check raise number two and this guy three bets, even for his like min raise plus all in, it's like a snap block. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, man. Wow. Yep. All right. So let's just get back. We have the queen 10, 10, 3 in our hand. And uh, we. For some have, reason. Yeah, for some reason. And we're blind versus blind. <laughs> against uh, world beater Daniel Alai. Uh, 68 players left in the $10,000 PLO championship at the World Series of Poker. We are in the big blind with queen 10, 10, three double suited. And on the flop, we had a flush draw and on the end top pair. And on the turn, we picked up another flush draw. So now we have both a queen high backdoor flush draw and a 10 high front door flush draw. We also have a pair of queens and some blockers some pretty important blockers to the straight uh, straight draws that are out there. So, uh, did I get all yeah. that right? Yeah, that also leads toward, even though it's a backdoor straight, the 10-10 the blockers are actually more of an argument to call turn to try to bluff some straight rivers. So, uh, I'm just still in this. Uh, so, remind me again why I decided that while I'm still fresh to PLO, I decided to take this gem of a hand to a flop against a world-class player. Just pre-mat. <laughs> full pre-mat. Just full pre, pre, <laughs> move on. There's not even antis. Alright, so he bets really big again. Yeah, he bets big again. So, recap in the hand, queen 10-10-3, queen 7-4 flop, jack turn. Like you said, I have two flush draws. And he bet, he raised a 15k pre- Bet 23k on the flop and bet 65k, 13 big blinds on the turn. Yeah. We're playing 280k effective, and I am genuinely like I have no idea what to do. I just I really was like, part of me wants to just see if I can get him to fold here because I have like half the deck with two flush draws and um, you know, there's some chance that like. I'm ahead and gonna get outplayed on the river, outdrawn on the river. Um, but I think overall, like this is just a looking at this now, it's just like a call, a call turn, and rivers should play pretty easily. Like I agree if I river the ten high flush that I uh, from the flush draw I flop, and he checks, my hand's probably good. May or may not be worth betting, but um, but it should play out pretty easily because if he barrels, it should look like I have the not flush draw a lot. So if he barrels on the river when I make a ten high flush, I can actually just fold it. Fold it, yeah, yeah, if I agree. Door a queen high flush. I need to fold if the board didn't pair. Yeah. Um. So that would be really easy. Just call those rivers check back with my mediocre top hair showdown value in a lot of spots if the river bricks. But like we said, there's not really 
many bricks to these uh, to this board <laughs> when it's queen seven four jack like almost everything is going to make a higher low straight possible or river or make a flush possible sure so i think my plan should just be call fold spade rivers call the diamond rivers with the backdoor flush um fold most other rivers uh if he does barrel uh, but I decided I'm just going to try to put a world-class player who's like a multi-millionaire to the test for no reason, and I potted it in there and got it in for another 280k for the goddamn chip league. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate it. Like, you know, like you said, you might be able to get him to fold better, um, even if he ends up getting all in with you. Uh, you've got plenty of outs in all likelihood uh it's not it's not bad i wanted to do that on the flop yeah, but that's when you can't fully go with it right that's right. like a semi bluff hope it's just take it now right now on the turn it's like okay well now it's going to be all the chips yeah i think i like flop one because then i have like an escape hatch in case he's really nutted yeah i like having that as like exit strategy <laughs> even though like I'm kind of against that logic and no limit, but maybe too much so to the point where I don't raise enough in these weird spots posts where maybe I should. Um, but that's because I've been studying PLO more than I've been studying no limit. Anywho, um, potted it in there and uh, got in for 280k, and his hand was ace queen jack eight, and Interestingly, regarding what I said about what flushes I would and wouldn't call with, um, he had the back door not flush draw. So he had my queen high flush draw covered. Oh, that's brutal. So if even if I call turn, I'm going to snap call off all the diamond rivers and lose. Yeah. <laughs> and I, if he does decide to bluff, I think he had a queen blocker to the to the flop flush draw like usually you want number one or number two blockers if you're bluffing with them but there's a chance especially with bubble consideration that he might have turned that into a bluff on the river i don't think he would because my hand looks too much like the not flush draw um and a lot of my range is going to be not flush draw when i call twice sure so but if he did decide to bluff the spade rivers and he's obviously going to whether he bets or checks with the the backdoor flush, I'm going to end up getting it in. Um, but if he decides to bet the spade rivers, he's going to bluff me off my 10 high flush. And if he, and he's obviously going to get all the money on the diamond rivers. Um, it was, and he did not seem happy to call. Like he tanked a little bit and then like sigh stuck it in. So at least I get some uh, consolation points and that he didn't seem thrilled about it. Yeah, but, I he mean, just has too sucks. much going on. Yeah. He's got top two pair. He's got the the nut flush draw. There's just too much going on there. Yeah. So I need to river a set of tens or river my flop ten high flush draw to win. So my equity is like in the twenties. Like you said, you're like uh, I don't think your flush draw is going to be bad. Heads up. I was like, just wait. Even my backdoor queen high flush draw is not going to be good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is pretty unlikely, Matt. Just because it happened doesn't mean it's not unlikely. But... No, but I mean, just from playing millions of hands yeah, and like, trust, your, your flush draw, even heads up, 
your flush draw is going to be beat pretty frequently. Yeah, a lot more frequently than those of us who are more accustomed to uh, hold them. Obviously, you know, it's a lot more frequently than that. Well, how'd you get there? Did you hit the 10 on the river? Uh, That's a good one, buddy. River's an offsuit five. There's Uh, some chance that if I just call turn, this is one of the other interesting things that leads to just calling in position, even with some monstrous draws, is because then you can value that when you get there and you can bluff a lot of cards that you don't. Right. Like I said, I have 10-10 blockers. If the river is a nine, an eight, an ace, a king, I have the blockers to the nut straight. And a lot of times I'm going to have blockers to both the nut straight and the bottom end of it. And it's way better when you have, like, like having ace-ace when it comes king-queen-jack is not nearly as valuable as having 10-10 to block both 10-9 and ace-10. So I'm going to have the perfect straight river blockers. If But the, the problem is that most of the straights that have 10-10 in them are going to be uh, straights where I didn't have a straight draw on the flop and I would have had to back into it. So we get into the same kind of territory of why I'm going to call off the backdoor flush but not necessarily call the flop flush. Like He may be able to make some hero calls when the river's a king that he wouldn't have if it was a flop queen-jack four and then a turn seven because he's going to expect a lot more of the 10-10 straight draws if I could have flopped it since money went in on the flop. Yeah, you wouldn't have called a pot-sized bet on the flop with just a gut shot, right? So right, but but like it's there's still so many ways to back into it that it's still like possibly credible to rep it in PLO because you can have some other things going on and then just back into it. Yeah, it's well, just harder to rep. I which is why I didn't love them as blockers as much on the turn and why they didn't stray me toward call a little bit more, which yeah. I wish they had. Well, it makes sense that, you know, your logic there makes sense. And I also can see, Matt, why you've been thinking about this hand for seven years, because obviously that was a big spot. But still, I think it's I still say it's pretty unfortunate that your queen flush was no good. I mean, that's pretty sick. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting because even when you uh, break things down the best way you possibly can, you can still just be setting yourself up to get outplayed. <laughs> like, right, right. Funny. Yeah, especially when you're playing in a you know a ten K. You're up against some pretty steep competition there. But now you are the steep competition because you spent the last seven years thinking about that hand and so many others and now they're afraid to sit with you. Some of them are. Some of them are flocking to the table. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the stakes and the lineup. For sure, for sure. Well, fun transitioning to cash though. Like I never really enjoyed no limit cash that much, but I love PLO so much that it makes it easier for my for me to play cash and not not be able to um, you know chase 50, 100, 200 buy-ins, but still enjoy it because like the game is more interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. Even if I don't get to have the hunt. Uh, I really enjoy PLO as a cash game. I, I haven't played too many PLO tournaments. They always sucker me into the uh, the half PLO, half no limit tournament every year at the Rio. I end up playing that one every summer. Um, but otherwise, I kind of I stay out of the PLO world tournament-wise. But I do like playing in the cash games, and mostly because I'm so good at flipping. I was going to say, we, didn't we play 1-2-PLO at WSOP.com the other day? Definitely. Yeah, I love it. I just remembered that right now. <laughs> Is that Clayton Fletcher? Yeah, yeah, yeah I love it. I'm all about sit it. Sit down. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking of flocking to the table, 
Uh, yeah, if you see me over <laughs> in, the, in the PLO streets, as the kids say, these online PLO streets where everybody knows it's not my best game. But, you know, like yourself, Matt, I've been studying. I've been trying to improve. I'm very fascinated by PLO. There's just so much more to think about, as you said. Well, text me if you have any questions on PLO hands. Just don't do it if it's a no-limit hand. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll definitely take you up on that. And don't worry, I would never send you anything with two cards. All right. So let's all... I'm just all... going to text back, yawn, ZZZ. Yeah, yeah, fold pre, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I'm going to let you go, but uh, can you just tell everybody one more time uh, the, the time and the place for this Saturday? This Saturday at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific, we are going to have a $500 tournament for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And just real quick about St. Jude, I this is what I forgot to mention earlier when we had kind of wandered and I was trying to get back on topic. Uh, not only does St. Jude pay for the treatment, uh, travel, and housing for these families and patients going through this so that... Uh, since all the, the pot, parents should have to do is focus on helping their child live, but they're also the leader in providing cancer research, and they don't hide their discoveries made at St. Jude. They, unlike a lot of other hospitals that are you know for-profit institutions, St. Jude freely shares all of the medical research that's ever been done at St. Jude so that St. Jude protocol can be used to treat patients across the country. Uh, it's and, and around the world. They do amazing, amazing work, and they are my favorite charity to support, especially with the way my family's been affected by cancer this year. Go to stjude.org slash against all odds. That's S-T-J-U-D-E dot org slash A-G-A-I-N-S-T-A-L-L-O-D-D-S. Make your charitable contribution and then come see me at the table and talk as much trash as you want in the chat. Come and play poker with us this Saturday. For $500, you could win a seat in the 2021 World Series of Poker main event. And we're going to have some fun. It's going to be a good time. And we're going to raise money for, obviously, uh, an extremely worthy cause. So. Yep. We got Stapes MCing. There's going to be Ryan Reeves in the tournament from the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, along with Daniel Negreanu. And in the silent auction, whether or not you're playing, go bid on some silent auction items or make a donation at that site. We have meet and greets with William Carlson from the Vegas Golden Knights and Jason Alexander, who everyone knows is George from Seinfeld. <laughs> Gotta love it. Well, listen, Matt, really appreciate you uh, hopping on the podcast again. We always love hearing from you and uh, I'm glad that you're able to continue your wonderful work with the CSOP. Anything else you want people to know about before we say goodbye? Um, That's about all. All right. Well, we'll see you uh, Saturday, buddy. Awesome. Appreciate it, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. So for Matt Stout and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.